Welcome to this week's Adventure Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. This week's message is called, Is the Devil Real? Did you know that approximately 65% of Christians don't believe the devil is real? Today, Pastor CJ is going to prove, through God's Word, that the devil does exist, what his plan for your life is, and how you can defeat him. Are you ready to fight and win? We hope you enjoy this message. Take out your sermon notes now as we get into the Word of God. I want to talk to you today, a a sermon that has been in my heart for the last three weeks. Three weeks ago, I was ready to jump out of my series to preach this, but I felt the timing of it wasn't right because uh, of Halloween being right now. And I have titled this message, Is the Devil Real? Is the devil real? And right now, Halloween is around the corner, obviously. And when you think of Halloween, it represents a lot of times evil and all the kind of different things. If you're anything like me, I cannot watch horror movies. I really can't. They scare the fire out of me. I am not that way. I mean, I remember growing up watching the creature from the Black Lagoon, and I thought that was scary. Amen? I'm telling you, that wasn't even nothing compared to stuff they got now. But I am one of those guys that are, I cannot watch that stuff because it messes me up and it gets me so full of fear and just anxiety and man it scares me and I've, I then I begin to sleep with one eye open and one eye closed you know hey is that devil going to come get me but you know what I want to talk to you today about the devil and uh, how real the devil really is and if you have your notes today you can follow along with me but in Ephesians chapter 6 Paul is talking about suiting up for battle He's talking about suiting up for battle. And if he's talking about suiting up for battle, in other words, Carl, we have to suit up. In other words, we have an opponent. Why would we suit up if we were not going into battle? So Paul is saying you have a a battle, you have a struggle, you have an opponent, you have an evil one, or you have someone that you have to go against. Today, our Packers play the Rams, and I pray that the Packers have the Rams playbook so we can defeat them, amen? And, uh, but we have an opponent. Otherwise, why would Paul say uh, to suit up, okay? And then another thing that Paul wants us to identify, that our battle, now get this, that our battle is not against each other. That a lot of times what happens is the church sometimes thinks that we are enemies to one another because the enemy wants to divide and separate because there's power or strength in numbers, right? And so what the enemy wants to do, he wants to separate and divide and cause confusion within the camp because then it weakens our forces. And if two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, and two or three agree, it shall be done. There's power and agreement. So if the enemy can separate and divide the church or make the enemy that us meet against you or you against me, then guess what? The enemy's won. So Paul wants us, number one, to be aware that we have to suit up, that we are going into a battle and that we are in a battle. But then he also wants to remind us of this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, the opponent is not each other. It's not the church. It's not the person sitting to the right or to the next of you. The opponent is not each other. And so a lot of times what the enemy wants to do, he wants to distract you from him and get your eyes focused on people around you and get you mad at someone, get you full of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment towards someone so that you reflect off off on him. So you take your forces or your strength or your power off on him and you reflect it on somebody else. And as you do that, what happens, he's rejoicing because you're beating up one another and he's just sitting back and watching you wound each other. So Paul is saying our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So we need to make that right. 
So if it's not against flesh and blood, who is it against? So it says it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Evil. It's the spiritual forces of evil. So our opponent, if Paul didn't, if the devil isn't real, then who is the spiritual forces of evil? A lot of people say, well, the devil's really not real. The devil's really not this. The devil's not really that. If Paul was telling us that we are in a battle against the spiritual forces of evil, where does evil come from? comes from the enemy. The enemy. The enemy wants to do what? Destroy, to kill, to separate, to divide, all these things. But he goes on to say, in this heavenly realm. Therefore, now watch what he says, put on the full armor of God. In other words, get ready. Get suited up for battle. Put on your helmet. Put on your shoulder pads. Put on your knee pads. Put on your cleats. You're getting ready to get into the game. You're getting ready to get in the game. And how many of you know that every time when you get ready to go score a touchdown, and maybe you're on the one-yard line, and maybe you're on the one-yard line, and you're ready to break through, and it's first down and one. And what does the enemy do, the opponent do? It always puts his biggest guys on the line, right? Because they figure that you're going to run. They're going to try to blitz you. They're going to put their biggest guys on the line. Isn't that exactly what the enemy wants to do? When you're ready to score for God, when you're ready to cross over that threshold into your victory, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to stop you, so he's going to put his biggest attacks. He's going to put his biggest assignments on you to hold you back from scoring a touchdown. Because when you score a touchdown now, I like what the NFL is letting them do. They let them celebrate a little bit. I like that. Kind of got a little entertainment to the game before it's kind of starchy but now it's kind of fun so I look forward to when a guy scores a touchdown to see what they're going to do how many can relate what I'm talking about amen some of those guys ain't got no rhythm amen I'm telling you those white boys they ain't got no rhythm amen but but he goes on to say watch this he says he said stand your ground he says so that when the day of evil comes in other words we know that we're going to go through a day of evil amen we're going to go through attacks we're going to go through assignments that the enemy has in our way so don't be surprised by them right the day of evil comes so it's going to come but when it comes how are you responding when it comes your way are you winning or you're losing you win by trusting and believing and knowing that God is going to pull you through you lose by giving up and quitting Quitting and throwing in the towel. So you got two choices to make. Either I'm going to stand in there or I'm going to give up. Right? You got to take your stand. He says, listen, after you be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. So in other words, you're suiting up for battle. You're getting prepared for the evil one or the opponent that's coming against you. And with your feet Fit it with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, for with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you get that? Distinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What are some of his arrows? His words? That's an arrow. How many of that, that, that old saying says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me? How many know that words do hurt, right? They really do. That, that's an arrow. 
that the enemy wants to speak into your spirit, Jessica, tells you, no, that's not true. No, that's a lie. No, that's not good. And he wants to bring confusion. And every one of those things that he speaks is an arrow. And the opposite of truth is a lie. And the truth does what? Sets you free. But a lie binds you up. And it conforms you and it confines you. That's how the enemy does. He wants to confine you by lies. So what are some of his arrows? A lie. A lie. And eventually, as you get shot, eventually it's going to wear down your resistance. Amen? I, you know, the other day, I kind of came down with a little cold, and it, I knew it was starting to bother me, and it was starting to come against me. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to receive that. So I went out and brought those vitamin tablets, you know, the vitamin C tablets, you know? You put them in the water, and they help you out with the vitamin C. There's airborne tablets, you know what I'm talking about? So I brought those, and you know what? Man, after taking those for the next couple of days, I feel like I'm perky, perky, perky. But I prepared myself for the attack of that cold. I knew it was coming. I felt it was coming. So I prepared myself. How many of you know that you have to be prepared because the enemy never tires? He's like a lion roaming to and fro. He is an evil force. So listen, Paul names a real and present foe of our faith. He names it. He's the devil, the evil one. He doesn't beat around the bush and pretend. He doesn't say it's not. It's make-believe. He lets us know that there's a devil, the evil one, roaming to and fro, looking for whom he may devour. And if we know that there's a real devil, that he's roaming to and fro, then why aren't we taking our stand? Cheryl and I, when we worked at U.S. Bank, and I, and I never preach politics from the, from the platform because I respect each other's privacy, and if you're a Republican or if you're this or you're that or Democrat, it doesn't matter. That's between you and God and your convictions. But when I was working at U.S. Bank, I'll never forget when, and I have to say the name, Donald Trump won. When he won, it was amazing the very next day. Half the place, no kidding, half U.S. Bank, and we worked with 300 and some workers there, half of them that next day didn't come to work. You know why they didn't come to work? Because they were mad that they didn't win the election. And then when they came back the next day, man, there was, man, the struggles and fights within the, it was crazy. And Cheryl and I sat up and just thought, this is crazy. The, the Republicans were taking their stand. The Democrats were taking their stand. And then what was happening, there was fights going on in the, in, in the community. You should have saw 300 and some workers. It was like a divided house. My point is that if the Republicans and Democrats can take their stand for what they believe in, why is it that we as believers in Christ Jesus cannot take our stand for God? That we waver in our stance. Man, we waver when the enemy comes in like a flood. We're supposed to raise up our standard against it. But what happens is a lot of times, instead of staking our stance, instead of believing what we know is right, we kind of compromise. And the reason why we compromise is because we're too tired to fight. We're weary. We're believing a lie. And so what happens is we kind of one foot in, one foot out, one foot in. We look like we're doing a polka. Put your left foot in, put your left foot out. Amen? And what happens is, just like the Republicans and the Democrats, they take their sides. We need to take our side for God. And the side is the devil. I know you're alive. I know you're trying to kill, rob, and destroy. But I stand for God, and that's final. Don't waver. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the enemy always knows the weakest one. 
He'll scope you out. He'll watch you. He'll know what you're doing. He'll see your faith waver. And what he'll do, he'll pounce on you because he wants to take you out. Exactly what he wants to do, right? Listen to this. The Greek word, and please forgive me. That's why I don't do a lot of Greek, but I do like reading Greek. The Greek word for devil is dabalos, and it shares the root with the verb damalitan, which means to split. In other words, what does the enemies go? It's to split, right? So what's this? The split. The devil is a splitter, a divider, and a wedge driver. That's his whole mission and goal in life. He's a splitter, a divider, and a wedge driver. What did he do with Adam and Eve? He created a split. He divided. He separated them from God. They were caught naked. Then how, how do you know you're naked? Because what? He entered into sin. Right? So what happens is he's a splitter, he's a divider, and he's a wedge driver. What is his mission? He comes to split you, divide you, and to drive a wedge in your situations of life. That's his whole mission of life. He wants to take the unbeliever. Now get this. He wants to take the unbeliever to hell and make hell for the believers. Wow, isn't that true? He wants the man to take the unbeliever to hell, but he wants to take us through hell. He wants us, man, to make us feel like, man, the reason why is because through the situations that you go through in life, he's hoping that you quit in the middle of the stream. So he wants to take you through hell to make you quit in your faith. Write this down if it's not in your notes circumstances, the pressures, the cares of life, the battles, the struggles that you go through, circumstances say no. Circumstances say no. Man, I can't do it. I'm not able to do it. I'm giving up. That's what circumstances say. But you know what? Promises say yes. God's promises are yes and amen. Your circumstances are telling you no. It's not worth it. The enemy is going to bring you down. Why are you fighting? Why are you trying to hold on? Why don't you just give up? It will be a lot more easier for you. But the promise says you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded if you do not quit. You hold on to the promise, and I'll pull you through, and in the end you will receive your blessings. Right? So listen, you got to hold on. I love this. And have you ever heard of Barna? Barna Research is, is a Christian organization that surveys Christians or surveys churches. And they do research on churches on different topics. And one of the topics that Barna Research Group did was finding out how much Christians really, really believed if there was a devil. Now watch these, these are staggering reports. Watch this. Four out of ten Christians, or 40%, strongly agree that Satan is not, is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. 40% of the church. Can you imagine? That means maybe 40% of you in here today just maybe believe that he's a symbol. The only one that I've ever known that changed their name from Prince to a symbol was Prince. Can you imagine? How do you call his name? Your name is you over there. He's not a symbol of evil. He is evil. And he is real. But 40% of the church thinks he's a symbol of evil, but not really a living being. I think this is crazy. Watch this. An additional 2 out of 10 Christians, or 20%, said that they agree somewhat with that perspective. So it's even more leaning to 60%. 
of the people believe that the devil is only a force of evil. And you wonder why the church is weakened, and you wonder why the church is not advancing and taking back by force, because we don't have the whole group on with us, Monty. The Bible says if two or three agree, it shall be done, right? If one can chase 1,000, two can chase 10,000. Can you imagine if the church would all get on one page for the glory of God and stand up and say, devil, enough is enough in Jesus' name. But the enemy wants us to weaken our forces by arguing, maybe complaining and grumbling and struggling and fighting against each other. And the reason why is so it detracts or takes away from him. And then he wins and we lose. So what happens is, now watch this, a majority of Christians, 35% indicated that they believe Satan is real. Only 35% of the church. Can you believe that, Sarah? 35%. That means, if you see the next one, the others are just participants, and so they don't know really where they stand. 35%. Believe that there's somebody real, that the, that the devil's really real. Wow, I want to I be on that bandwagon. I want to be in that, on that one, amen? I want to be a part of that force. I want to be a part that's rising up. You know what? I want to fight for a cause, and that cause that I'm fighting for is, man, I'm coming against the enemy. That he is real, he is living, he is alive, and he wants to destroy and kill you and me. And I want to beat him before he beats me. Amen? I know that in my life, man, when I would play sports, man, I would get prepared before the game, and I would study my opponent. I knew who I was going to guard. I knew what they did. If they liked to shoot a jump shot or they liked to take it to, to the hole, I knew what they would do. I knew their strong points. So you know what I'd do? I would already be prepared for what they're getting ready to do because I know them personally. And you know what? You know the enemy personally. He wants to kill, rob, and destroy. You know his mission, right? So listen to this. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, Jesus writes these words. After creating man and doing all the great things he did, he rested on the seventh day, and he wrote these words. And God, God saw all that he had made. All that he had made. Can you imagine that? How many of you ever made something in your life? Man, wouldn't that, all that he had made. But look what he said. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. In other words, what God created was very good. But if, how many of really, how many of you have ever made something in your life? Come on. What, 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 Greg, you're a carpenter. And so let's say, just, let's use Greg for a moment. Let's say Greg just made these beautiful cabinets. And Harlan makes cabinets and whatever. Let's say whatever you guys do. What would happen, Greg, after you make these beautiful cabinets? I come along and destroy it. What would you feel like? You'd be upset. What would you want to do to me? Uh, I'd probably have some good thoughts that I, some bad thoughts that I'd be trying to get rid of out of my brain. Did you hear that? I probably have some bad thoughts that I want to get out of my brain, right? Right? But why, can I ask you a question? Isn't that the mission of the enemy? God created things very good. Now, you got to get this. He created things very good. But just like Greg, man, I came along and destroyed what he made, and Greg got mad. But why is it that we as Christians take a back seat and allow the enemy to destroy what God's intended for good? Somebody say amen. 
Isn't that right? So we allow the enemy to steal. We allow the enemy to take away from us, Rachel. And we just sit back like, well, no big deal. And he's out to kill, rob, and destroy. Maybe he's killing your business. Maybe he's killing your marriage. Maybe he's killing your kids. Maybe he's killing your job. Whatever it may be. And you're sitting back realizing that maybe he's not real. He's just an evil force. It'll pass. It's only circumstance. It's only happenstance these things are happening. It'll soon pass. This is not Chicago where it changes today and the different weather tomorrow. God says the enemy is real and he never tires. Right? But we sit back. Look at I love this. We sit back. In Ezekiel 28, it talks about the account. Now, I want you to get this. It talks about the account or the prophetic word or the prophecy of what took place when the enemy fell. Now, how many of you love to read history? I, I, I like reading history. I, I like to buy the USA Today because it's a general world view of things. It's not just here in Siren or Minneapolis or Chicago. When I was in Chicago, I, I read the Chicago Tribune. When I was in uh, New Mexico, I read the New Mexico uh, Bed newspaper. And it was all just local stuff. But what I like about USA Today, it's all general about the world events, what happens around us, right? And so I like doing that. And so what happens is you can read history books, and you can even listen to CNN or Fox News, and yet a lot of us believe it. We believe it. When we grew up, we heard about Columbus. We heard about all the historian people that we learned to love and admire about the victories and the triumphs that they had in their life. Well, why is it so hard for us to believe the Word of God? And if the word of God is true, then let me ask you, why is it that we can't accept it? Because sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? And we don't want to believe that because that sometimes seems so far-fetched. So because it's saying that, oh, did that really happen? If God said it, that settles it. Right? Now watch what he says. The Son of Man, take up your lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Now, when the Lord is saying this, who is he referring to? You were the seal of perfection. Who do you think that was? It's the enemy. He was a seal of perfection. Just like you and I, every one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. He was a seal of perfection. Before he was cast down, there was no sin. So look at this. Full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. You were in Eden. Now look at how he's describing them. Full of wisdom. The garden of God. Every precious stone adored you. And I'm not going to read all that, the stones, amen, because I'll butcher them. I work for a butcher market when you read those. Amen. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. Look at his position. Look at where he was. Chris, look at this. If this wasn't so, and you can believe a history book, this is God's word speaking to you. This is truth. And sometimes we don't like to accept the truth because we don't want to believe that the enemy really is alive. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a, a guardian cherubim. Can you see the position he was? Look at this. For so to adorn you, adorn you, 
You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. What was that wickedness? Jealousy. He wanted to be worship instead of worship God. He changed positions. Jealousy. How many of you know that jealousy will kill? How many of you remember reading some time ago about a mother that her daughter tried out for cheerleading? Remember reading that story? And it doesn't end there. Her, mother tried, her, her daughter tried out for cheerleading, and her daughter didn't make cheerleading. And so because her daughter didn't make the cheerleading uh, squad, do you remember this story? Out of the jealousy that this mother had, she went and took out the cheerleading coach. Do you remember that story? Out of jealousy that her daughter didn't make it. Why didn't my daughter? Jealousy will kill. And so this is what was happening with the devil. The devil was so jealous that God was being worshipped, that he was being adored, that he was being praised. And out of his jealousy, he became wicked and hardened in heart. Why do you think that he says that God's going to give you a heart of flesh and take out the heart of stone? Because God knew that jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness will get inside of you. So he prepares you to let you know, don't let that in. Because if you let evil in, it won't take an inch, it will take a mile. So he says, watch this. Though you're widespread trade, you are filled with violence and you sin. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And expelled you, guardian cherubim, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud. Proud. You know when sin sets in? What's in the middle? What's the middle letter in pride? Spell pride. I. What's the middle letter in sin? When I becomes you, all about you, you become full of sin and you become full of pride. And when you become full of sin and you become full of pride, you get bitter, you get angry, you get mad, you get upset, and then you get jealous of one another. And that's exactly what happened. I became the middle of Satan's life. I became the middle of sin in Satan's life. I, I, it's all about me. If you ever noticed Jesus, it was the opposite. It wasn't about him. It was all about you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. If it was about him, he would have laid under a broom tree and let you just, you know, wave them with palm leaves, feed them grapes, and so on, and say, yeah, this is me. Check it out. But it was all about you and not about him. But Satan made it all about I, I, I. And when he made it all about I, it became pride. It became sin. And so he said, your heart became proud on the account of your beauty, and you were corrupted your wisdom, because of your splendor, so I threw you, get this, so I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Because of your splendor, I threw you to earth, and I made a spectacle of you before kings. Why? So where do you think he dwells now? Right now. Where? Earth. And what's his mission? You see, a lot of times we take things in our lives that this is just happenstance that happened. Oh, man, evil is meant for my life. Man, bad is meant to happen for me. It happened in my grandfather's life. happened in my grandmother's life, my parents' life. So, hey, it's just been passed down the generation. I'm just accepting this is my plot in life. Evil's intended for me. Enough of that. 
Amen? And you accepted your plot in life. You see, listen, to whom was God speaking about? Who was in Garden of Eden? The devil. Who was anointed the guardian angel? Who dwelled in the holy mountain? Was blameless from the day he was made until the wickedness appeared? Who was that? He's talking about the enemy. Now where does he dwell? Here. Right? You see, could you, could, uh, who could this be but Satan? This prophecy is nothing less than the destruction or the description of the fall of the enemy, of the devil. And if Paul tells us to suit up, and the, devil, and the Lord said he cast him down in heaven, do you not think that the devil's real? God describes him. Paul tells us to be ready. But yet there's 40% of us that say, well, he's just an evil force. And you wonder why you're getting beat up? Because you're not taking him serious. And I'm telling you, you're not taking him serious, but he's taking you serious. And his mission is to bring you down. Isn't that right? So he's taking it serious, Andy. He's not messing around. He's coming with double-barrel shotguns to bring you down. Right? The devil is real. Look at what it says in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. I love this. How you have fallen from heaven. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low in the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. Can you see that pride building up? I will raise my throne. Worship me. Look at me, Sander D. Oh, look at me. Above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assemblies, on the utmost heights of Mount Sinai. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead. To the depths of the pit. Why? He got himself. You see, Lucifer's heart became proud. He was not content to worship. He had to be worshipped. You see, his heart became proud. He wasn't content to just worship God. But he had to be worshipped. He got the eye in the middle. You see, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18 and 19, here is the Lord speaking. This is the Lord speaking. Who does the Lord identify? If the devil isn't real, then why would he use his name? Right? Right? Look at what God says. He replied. This is Jesus speaking. Look at it in your Bible. It's written in red. So it's not Paul. It's not Matthew. It's not any other, other gospels or one of the authors there. It's Jesus himself speaking these words. And if it's red, you better be like E.F. Hutton and listen. And here's what he said. He replied, I saw Satan. Jesus is saying that from his lips. He is real. He's alive. He is not a symbol. He's not just an evil force. He is alive looking for whom he may devour. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You see what he says? He said, I've given you that authority. But Jesus said, I saw Satan. And so in other words, did God lie? 
God does not lie. He is the author of truth. He holds the truth. And the truth he's trying to tell you, like you read in your history books and you believe, is that you're so hard to believe that the Bible says this. Why is that? This is Jesus, the author of truth, speaking to you, saying that the devil is real. Right? He's saying he is real. He, he is alive. He dwells among you. So listen, we play into the devil's hands when we pretend he doesn't exist. How many know that's true? We play into the devil's hands when we pretend he doesn't exist. The devil is a real devil. We wonder why we are losing instead of gaining. It's because you have to take your stand against him. You have to take your stand. Quit being a pansy, whamsy Christian. The Bible said that the violent take it back by force. It's time that you rise up and say, devil, I'm a king's kid. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm adopted into the family of God. I lack no spiritual blessings, so I'm here to make war with you, devil. I draw a line in the sand. I recognize you for who you are. You are a killer. You are a destroyer. You are a thief. You steal no more in Jesus' name. Amen. And it's that time you do that. But we have allowed the enemy to defeat us and destroy us and take from us. That's why it says in John in, in, in first uh, in Matthew, excuse me. It says this in John 10 10. Go to John 10 10. I'm sorry. Go to John 10 10. It says this. The devil comes to kill. Look at now watch the sequence. You gotta get this. The sequence is very important that you see this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. You notice the sequence of that? He cannot kill you or destroy you until he steals from you. He has to steal from you, Monty. And what he does, he'll steal from you your joy, your peace, your faith, your hope, your love, your acceptance. He'll steal from you all along, stealing from you to weaken you to kill you. That's what he does. So what is he going to do? He's going to come in. He's going to tell you that your God's not real. He's going to tell you that, man, give up. Man, why do you try to fight? Why do you hold on to the faith? Why do you believe for these things that happen in your life? That's a part of stealing. Because every time he can get you to get your eyes off the Lord, I always say when you look up, you stay up. When you look down, you're going to frown. Man, you got it. When he tries to get you from looking up and get you to start looking down, that's when he starts to steal. And that's when you're going to start to frown because he's going to steal from you and he's weakening you to be able to kill you. So let me ask you, what is he stealing from you? Is he telling you it's not real? Is he telling you you're never going to make it? You're doomed. You're going under. You're this. You're that. And every time he tells you that, he's bombing you. And what does it do? It questions your faith. And every time he can question your faith, it weakens you, stands for him. It weakens you. And every time you get weakened, he gets a little, little more stronger on you. A little bit of yeast works through a whole batch of dough. You know what, why he said strongholds? Don't give the enemy a stronghold. A stronghold means, Chris, a place to stand in your life. The enemy doesn't fight fair. Now get this. You give him an inch, Sue, he'll take a mile. You give him an inch, he's not going to just take an inch. He's not satisfied with that. He had a place with God. He was made perfect. Was he satisfied with that? No. Do you think he's going to be satisfied with that little bit that you give him? A little bit of yeast works through a whole batch of dough. He's not going to be satisfied with the little that you give him. That's just a crack to get into the, his foot in the door. Then he's going to start poisoning you. 
Man, I love when my kids were growing up. Man, I used to pin my boys on the ground and play that Chinese. Have you ever do that before? Man, I get their chest all red. Dad, dad. And I just, bum, 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 bum. how many of you know what I'm talking about? Bug the snot out of you, man. But that's what the enemy does to you. He puts you under a Chinese torch. Finally, you say, okay, I give up. And he steals your joy. He steals your love. He steals all this from you to kill you and destroy you. But look at Jesus. I have come that you may have life and have it to fullness. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says this. Be alert. Be alert. In other words, be on guard. Be, a, be on guard. Be on guard. Know that, man, the enemy is going to attack you. Man, the enemy doesn't fight fair. He looks to fight you in two different ways, when you're celebrating the win and when you're at the lowest of lows of your life. So when you're celebrating the win and you're cheering, and man, all of a sudden, man, that's when he's going to come in because you're not alert. Or when you're at the lowest of lows and he got you down, so he want to keep you down. That's what he does. So he says, be alert and sober of mind. In other words, be a mind of peace. Why does he say, be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind in Romans 12, verse 1? Why does he say, be, Scott, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you be what? Be able to test that what's good and perfect and pleasing for God's will in your life. The opposite of being in peace is confusion. And the enemy wants you to be in confusion. He wants you to have a doubt, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I love God, but I don't. I trust God, but I don't. I, man, I believe in God, but I don't. I, 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 man, and we go back and forth, back and forth, teeter-totter, right? And so what does he do? Be a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who do you think that is? That's you and me. He's looking for someone to devour. Out of Satan's anger, his mission or purpose is to destroy whatever gets in his path. Wow. Now look at what Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 says. We all can recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right, on earth as it is in heaven. Why do you think, now, if, if the devil, Jake, wasn't for real, why did Jesus put this in his prayer? He says, what did the disciples, why in the first place did Jesus quote this? Because what did the disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray, right? So this is what Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. And look at the phrase in which Jesus puts in his prayer for his disciples. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew 6, verse 13. But deliver us from the evil one. Now, how does that make sense in the middle of my prayer? God, you're supposed to teach me how to pray. I am teaching you how to pray. I'm keeping you alert. I'm keeping you on guard because the enemy is real, and he comes to kill, rob, and destroy. So he put that, if you look in that verse, he put that right in the middle to remind you, Nelda, that the enemy deliver us from the evil one. Wow. Is that bad to the bone or not? And if he, the devil wasn't for real, why does the Lord tell us to pray that we don't fall into temptation or get attacked by the evil one? Right? Isn't that something to me? You see, listen, we play in the devil's hands. The devil is real. We do these things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 8, 4, watch this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
We don't have machine guns, you know, M80s, whatever else. You know, deer hunting's getting ready to go. My gun is, a, I got a semi-automatic 30-06, and I got a bolt-action 30-06. In Colorado, you cannot use a semi-automatic in Colorado for deer hunting. You have to use a bolt-action. So I had to buy me a bolt-action 30-06. I got a lever-action 30-30, a 32 Winchester special. It's just like a 30-30. I love the 32 special because it's not the biggest kick that the 30-06 is. And so, but I have these guns, and I know what they do. I know the potency of this. I know how I can drop a deer, just like that. I know that. But that's the same with us. Listen, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. In other words, Caleb, to kill or destroy anything that comes your way. You can always recognize a stronghold. Here's a stronghold. Let me give you, let me identify a stronghold maybe in your life. A stronghold is anything that controls you. Anything that dictates you that you can't give up. Anything that dictates you that you can't control, but it controls you. And if you keep falling back into that place, that's a stronghold that has a stronghold on your life. And that's what you need to attack. When I was going through my alcohol thing, the, my next three months after being delivered from, from drugs, what, am I, what was my stronghold? My stronghold that was alcohol. So I identified the stronghold, and guess what? I attacked the stronghold. But so many times we're afraid to attack the stronghold because the stronghold that to controls us roars back at you. And you know what? We as parents, when our kids yell at us or scream at us or keep coming to us about the car keys, eventually what do we do? We give in to it. Because why? We're tired of fighting. It's the same way with the strongholds. We identify the strongholds. We know what the strongholds are, but the strongholds keep roaring back at us, and they keep fighting us, so we just finally give in to them. How many know what I'm talking about? It's exactly what we do. He says, on the contrary, they are divine to demolish strongholds in our lives. So what are these? Now watch this. What are these weapons? Here are the weapons. You've got to get this in your heart. You've got to get this in your heart. Somebody brought it to my attention. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, here's another weapon. To pray and be alert. Pray all in, in season and out of season. So prayer. Prayer, worship, and scriptures are the weapons how you combat, Carl, the enemy. Now get this. You have this on your paper. You got to read this. When we pray, we engage the power of God against the devil. Wow. That's why I always say, Jake, weak when I kneel, but powerful when I rise. Because I'm engaging the power of God in my life. You see, listen, God says I can't pour old wine, new wine into old wineskins. What happens with new wineskins? It starts right here. Man, I get new wineskins by being right here, by being in the altar. God, I surrender. I lay it down before you. God, make me pliable, open, receptive, receive all that you have for me, God. Pour into me. I engage into his power. That outlet right there, that outlet is useless. 
This outlet is useless until you plug something into it. And once you plug into it, you recognize it has power. It's the same way. The altar is useless until you plug into it, engage into it, empower yourself with God, visit his presence, and then he'll pour into you. It's useless otherwise. It looks pretty. It's wide open. Man, it's great. But it's useless until you engage in it. Weak when I kneel, but powerful. This is, listen, when we worship, we do what Satan himself did not do. We place God on our throne. <laughs> God lives on the throne room of our heart. Where the presence of the Lord is, there's liberty. And what does he reign and rule that brings liberty in our hearts? In our, here, right here. That's why I start each day off every day with Pandora, praising music. Man, just worshiping God. Man, be on the throne of my heart. Wash me inside as well as out. Listen to this. I love this verse of Scripture. When we pick up the sword of Scripture, we do what Jesus did in the wilderness. Matthew 4, Luke 4. What did Jesus do when he was faced with the enemy after praying 40 days and 40 nights? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He overcame them by the scripture. And what does the scripture do? It's truth. What does truth do? It sets you free. I found as pastor, my weapon of choice, Heidi, you know my weapon of choice is truth. My weapon of choice is truth. And if I stay in truth, guess what? It's always going to make me free. If I choose to lie, guess what it's going to do? It's going to get me in trouble with you. And then I have to cover up one lie after another lie to back track up. And what did I say to that person? What did I say to this person? So you know what I choose to be as a pastor? As transparent as I can be as long as I'm not breaking someone's confidence. Truth. Right? Right? I love that. See, Satan will not linger long where God is praised and prayers are offered. Satan may be vicious. Get this. Satan may be vicious, but he will not be victorious. And I close with this. In Romans 16, verse 20, watch what he says. I love this. The God of peace, the God of peace that passeth all understanding, the God of Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That's the title of our God that we serve. He's the Prince of Peace that lives in you, that gives you a sound mind to be able to reason between right and wrong. The Prince of Peace will soon crush Satan. If he's not real, why did he describe him again? Under your feet. Well, I went to the enemy's camp. Amen? The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Isn't that cool? Now, you tell me that the devil's not real. And I'll tell you he is because Jesus said it and that settles it. He's real. Now, are you part of the 35% that believe that he's real? Or are you part of the 40 to 20 to 60% that say he's just a symbol? I choose to be on the 35% because I want to be victorious. I don't want to be the unbeliever that goes to hell. I may be the believer that's going through hell, but I'm not going through it alone. Neshach, Shadrach, and Abednego went through the fire, but there was a fourth man in the fire, and there's a fourth man in your fire today. 
He is in the midst of your storm. He's in your fire. Will you stand with me today? I left out the last part on purpose on, your, on, those, on the bottom of your page. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look those verses up. Your circumstances say no. Your promises say yes. You look up those scriptures on the bottom of your paper there. When you're being faced with the enemy, Romans 16, there they are. You look them up. You do your homework. These are weapons to fight against the enemy. Prayer, worship, and scripture. Now listen, how many know there's strength in numbers, amen? How many know that we all are family here today, amen? How many know that when Aaron and Hur lifted up the arms of Moses, Moses won the battle? How many know that the enemy doesn't fight fair? He comes ten against one. When he attacks you, he doesn't come by himself because he's a wimp. He comes with legions. He comes with many. And when you leave this place, you're going to go out into the war zone again. And some of you need strength. Some of you need encouragement. Some of you need someone to pray for you. If two or three agree, it shall be done. So I'm not going to have you bow your heads today. But you say, Pastor, and I'm not even going to have you come forward. But if you say, Pastor, I need prayer. I need prayer today. We are a family, a family that prays together, stays together, a family that worships together, honors him together. But if you need prayer, just lift your hand up. Just lift your hand up. Look around, you guys. I want everybody to look around you. Look around you. All right. Now, we're a family, right? We're a family, right? Now, let's be family. Keep your hands up. Move towards these people that got their hands up. Come on. I want you to gather around them. Come on. Come on. We're going to pray together. Move towards you. Keep your hands up till somebody comes to you. Come on. Come on. There's, we got a lot of hands back here. Come on. There's a lot of people that got hands raised. We got people that, Quinn, I need you to come on up over here. Come on over here. Pray with this gentleman. Come on. Keep your hands up. If you need prayer, we're a family. We're going to believe together. We need some people up here. I need some ladies right here. Right here. Rachel, can you pray with these two right here? I need, I need another lady. Terry. I need to come on prayer with you. Amen. Now let's believe together. Come on. Believe together. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you that, God, you are on the throne, ever making intercession on our behalf. Lord, we know that the enemy is real. He's playing for keeps. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. But, Lord, you come to give us life and life more abundantly. So today, Father, we draw a line in the, stand, or in the sand and we say enough is enough. Devil, we don't play games with you anymore. We don't coddle you anymore. We don't nurse you anymore. We don't rehearse you anymore. We take our stand today and say enough is enough in Jesus' name. Lord, these people that raise their hands today and family and believers are praying for them, I pray that God right now, that you will perform and do a miracle in their life right now. Whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, whatever it may be, that God, you will heal and restore and bless. We thank you, Father, for each individual here today and know that you have everything in in control. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. We are heading into the busy holiday season, and we have a ton of things planned for you. If you don't want to miss out, make sure you follow us on Facebook, download our app, or visit our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com.